welcome to our second service today. Praise the Lord. I want to say, I told some of you last week, Teresa preached, and we, we were looking and we think maybe it's the most visited uh, sermon online we've had, or it's right up there, uh, possibly the most visited sermon actually that's been preached for this. Some of you, it resonated with you. She did a great job. You shared, shared. We appreciate when you share our service off of Facebook because the more time you share it, the more people pick it up. They may watch it for a few minutes or watch the whole thing. But uh, we thank the Lord. The week before that, I left service, went straight to Fort Sanders. They thought I had a heart attack. They gave me baby aspirins, nitroglycerin, done all these EKJ, 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 whatever it was. They gave me these bottles of stuff, hanging down with wires. Anyway, it wasn't fun. And uh, when everybody left that day, and I was there that night, it was kind of like, you know, am I going to wake up in the morning and I'm going to find out I've got a heart problem? Uh, and so it makes you think, it makes you think. And uh, but I don't know how to explain it. <clears throat> I felt the prayers of this church. It's like I could feel the actual prayers of this church. And it's like I just knew everything's going to be all right. The next day I went and they put me on that treadmill they jacked it way up, and you know how they start it, and then they turn it up faster and faster. And I was just going, you know, and then they turn it up faster, and they go, well, man, he's going. They had a bunch of people backed up, like, we wish he'd hurry up and get done. And I was keep going, and they kept going faster and faster. They go, well, he said he's been hiking. It may take him a while. A long story short, they go, man, your heart's in great shape. It's like, I don't even know if we could do that. So it wasn't my heart. <clears throat> And um, so they thought maybe I was dehydrated, but I appreciate your prayers. And the reason I want to take that time, I wanted to thank you, uh, but it very much comes up in the sermon today, what we're talking about. Today, we're going to talk about, so you need a miracle. There's times in all of our lives we need a miracle. It may be a, a financial miracle. It may be... Uh, an addiction miracle, uh, it may be a, a loved one in your family miracle, it may be a bad report from a doctor miracle, but you need a miracle, need a miracle. Or you know somebody that needs a miracle. And uh, when I first started studying this passage, I thought that it was what I was going to find is that this is Peter's miracle. But after I studied, we're going to be looking at Acts 12 today. I found out as I studied Acts 12, it was not Peter's miracle. It was the church's miracle. The church performed a miracle, and the miracle happened to Peter. Peter didn't happen to the miracle. The miracle happened to Peter. I want you to get that, how important it is for the church to pray for its leaders. I, some time back, I asked for 70 people. We still haven't got to 70. I don't know why 70, but I asked for 70 people to pray for me in particular, my family, the leaders of this church and their family, because I believe the enemy is trying to attack. And I don't know whether you believe in an enemy or not, but I do believe there's an enemy, and he's trying to attack not only us as leaders, but he's trying to attack families in our church. And that's why we need to pray. We need to really pray because there's an attack, there's attack on our different ministries in our church. And so that's why it adds for 70 people to pray. And so if you haven't signed up and you'd be willing to pray for myself and the leaders and the ministries and the families of our church, sign up on that list out in the lobby. We can get to that 70 mark. But in Acts 12, we have this fascinating story. It says in Acts 12 and 1, it was about that time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. So you kind of get the picture right now. We've already had Stephen uh, stoned. Now we had James, the brother of John, uh, killed by a sword. Verse 3, when he saw that this met with the approval of the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter, because you knew Peter was heading up the church then. Peter was being used of God then. He seized Peter also. This happened during the festival of the unleavened bread. 
After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. I am so glad that Herod is so spiritual that he would not kill him during the religious holiday. Isn't that some good religious people? They're going to kill him after the holidays, but not during the holidays. Thank God for religion, right? So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying. I want to read that again. Peter was kept in prison, but this story could have had a total different ending, but, but what? This story could have had a total different ending, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Good to see Pam over there. Everybody say, welcome back, Pam. There's some miracles I know. We're glad that Pam, she hurt her leg real bad. I'm glad she's back. Uh, 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 Angie Isles had a heart attack. She's in her langer. We need to be praying for her today. They're going to do some more work either today or tomorrow. They're doing some more testing on her. I just telling her the other day how good she looked. She told me how old she was, and I said, I can't believe that, Angie. We need to pray for Angie. There's a boy in our town. I'm not going to mention his name, but he's had a tumor come back in the brain, and he needs, he needs a miracle. We find ourselves in these situations where we need a miracle. We need to chain breaker to break the chains that's hindering us. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. That night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping. I don't know about you, but when I know I'm going to be put to death tomorrow, sleeping is not the first thing on my list. How about you? My God, it's not even the first thing. If I'm going to go to the dentist tomorrow, I'm probably not going to sleep the night before. If I'm going to go to the tax guy tomorrow, I'm probably not going to sleep. If I'm preaching tomorrow, I'm probably not going to sleep. There's something about I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning. 3 o'clock, there's a lot of nights I wake up 3 in the morning. Why 3 in the morning? I don't know why 3 in the morning, but if I wake up at 3 in the morning, God's fixing to talk to me about something. 3 in the morning. It's always been that way in my life. Last night, I was awake at 3 o'clock in the morning. Here Peter is. He's sleeping. You go, how could Peter sleep knowing that John was just killed? Stephen was killed. He's up to be killed in the morning. They were so religious, they wouldn't kill him on a religious holiday, so they're going to wait until in the morning. In the morning, he's going to be killed. And Peter's sleeping. The reason that Peter is sleeping, because God told him, when, when Peter, Peter, his secret number was three. Uh, he denied the Lord three times. And Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Three times. Uh, he said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows. Peter said, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Everybody else will deny you, but I'm not going to deny you. Jesus said, yeah, you are. Peter said, I would die for you. And Jesus said, yeah, you will, but not now. When you get old and gray, you're going to die for me, but it's not going to be today, not going to be tomorrow. When you get old and gray, you're going to die for me on a cross just like me. I don't know if that made Peter happy or sad. He's going to die on a cross, but he's going to be old and gray. Peter's sitting in jail, and he looks, he's not old and gray, so he gets to stay. <laughs> He's not going to die tomorrow. They may beat him tomorrow. They may slap him around. They can boil him in oil. They can pull his fingernails off, but he ain't dying tomorrow. God done said Peter is going to live until he's old and gray. I'm going to tell you one thing we're learning about the book of Acts, that God is a miracle-working God. Somebody said if they'd take the book of Acts out and isolate it and just put it in a pamphlet and put it out in the community, people would wonder where that church is. Where are the people that believe in that? Because you could not read the book of Acts unless you were predisposed not to believe in that, to believe that God doesn't do that. God 
heals people. God delivers people. God transports people in the power of the Spirit. God heals blind people. God heals crippled people. God raises people from the dead. Just in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit's poured out. People speak in tongues. People prophesy. People are given words from God. From the book of Acts. Are we going to believe the book of Acts or not? Most churches skip over that. I told you one time about I used to read the book of Romans every single day, and it was one of the, the greatest things that ever happened in my life, what God showed me in the book of Romans. Well, there was a time that I, I started doing this in the book of Acts. I'd read the book of Acts, and I'd say, God, is that real? Does that still happen today? Why ain't I ever, ever seen it? One of them I was reading one day in the book of Acts about having a night vision. I go, well, if you had a vision at night and it was at night and you was asleep, that'd be a dream, wouldn't it? God, what's a night vision? Just like that, that's all I said as I was reading the book of Acts. That night, 3 a.m., I sat up in the bed. I seen the lights. I seen the room. Like, what? Something just woke me up. Looked around the room. And just like that, I didn't see my room anymore. I saw the church I pastored in Knoxville, Tennessee. I was ending a service like I did many, many times. There was a lady. I still remember her name to this day. Her name was Jane LaFew. Jane LaFew came forward, and she told me about a very a needful prayer. About that time, click, I was in my room. I don't guess I ever left, but I had this vision. And I looked at the clock. It was just a few minutes past three. I'm like, what in the world just happened to me? And so I, I go to the restroom and try to go back to sleep. Didn't know what, what it even meant. On Sunday morning, I get up and I'm over there and I'm preaching at the church. And I done forgot about that. And I'm preaching. I get to the end of my sermon. And I ask if anyone wants prayer to come forward. And it didn't ever dawn on me until I saw Jane LeFew coming down the aisle for prayer. And it dawned on me what I had seen. I went down to Jane LeFew and I said, God showed me you and I can tell you what you're praying for. She started crying. She said, how did you know? And I said, God showed me a few nights ago in a vision. It was that night. It was a night vision. You may not want to believe that, but the things I believe are things that happened to me. Today, I'm going to tell you several things that's happened to me in my life. And I don't really care if you believe it or not. I'm telling you they happened to me. I believe in miracles. The fact that I can speak to you today is a miracle. I was born with a speech defect. I couldn't speak plain. I failed first grade. Nobody could understand me. People made fun of me. In fourth grade, my parents took me to a tent revival. T.L. Larry was the evangelist. He'd come there and had this big tent revival, saw us on the ground. He preached about healing. He had this little bridge. He sat on a chair as people came by because hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people came for prayer. And he came, and I came up. I came up with my own free will. I went up there to him, and he said, where's this boy's parents? And my parents came up there. They had been standing right out there. And uh, he said, uh, he said, what do you want? I said, I, I told him I couldn't speak plain, and my mom kind of told him what I said. And uh, he said, uh, do you mind if I pray for him the way that I feel led to pray for him? Some of you have heard this story. He took his finger, touched it to his tongue and his mouth, and touched it to my tongue and said, God, in the name of Jesus, release his tongue and heal him. And may he speak as plain as I do. And may he one day share your gospel just as I do. That happened that day. Not tomorrow, not next week. It happened that day. I went back to school. They go, what happened to you? And I go, I went to revival and got healed. They took me out of the speech class, and it was right at the end of the year, so uh, it was, uh, I was supposed to be going into fifth grade, barely, and uh, they go and they put the names on the doors of the class you'll be in, in next year. They already had that settled at the end of the year. I went, and my name was uh, not on the fifth grade. I thought they had, because the baby boomer generation, there's a lot of kids. I thought they'd put me on the next aisle, which is normally known as the sixth grade aisle. Get over to the sixth grade aisle. There my name is on this door. And I knew which teacher I'm going to have. And, but it said sixth grade. So I said, well, I don't like this. I like, I want to be in fifth grade with all my friends. So I go to the principal's office, my parents go there and we go, what's up? You know, they got him in the wrong room and all this. And they said, no, we're so crowded in the schools. We're going to try this. We've, we've got several uh, students that because they failed first grade, we're going to move them up to, uh, to sixth grade. 
Out of all the ones they move up, there's only a few that made it, and I was one of them. I never went to a day's school of fifth grade, never. And, uh, and I believe God gave me back the year I lost. I'm telling you, I believe as a little boy after I got healed, I always told God, God, whatever you want me to do in life, I'll be willing to do it. I would tell, I would, I'd, I'd cry and pray this prayer, Jesus, use me. Don't refuse me. Surely there's something I can do for you one day. I was so thankful. Literally, every time I would say a word or speak to somebody, I was reminded of a miracle that I had every day. A miracle. God performs miracles. Not years ago, God performs miracles now. And uh, so I, I want you to know that. There's a lot of things I'm going to talk about in the book of Acts. In Acts 12 there, there was a place when Peter finally wrote his book, uh, Peter quotes this verse almost verbatim. It's in Psalms 34, uh, 15. And I want to show that to you. Uh, first thing I want to say, miracles are supernatural. Everybody say supernatural. When you have a miracle, there's part of it that's super and there's part of it that's natural. Guess which part you get to do? The natural. When you ever see the word miracle in the Bible, you'll see the word a working or something you have to do. It's the working of miracles. There's no miracles where you don't do nothing. If there's going to be a miracle, there's something for you to do for there to be a miracle. There's the working of miracles. That's the gifting that God gives to the church. So there's a super part we can't do. Might as well forget about it. You can't do it. But there's a natural part. If you'll do that, if you'll be obedient, God will put the super with it and cause something supernatural to happen. So miracles are supernatural. God does the super. You participate by doing the natural. All right. Peter later wrote this. And like I told you, this passage originally come from Psalms 34, 15 through 16. Peter says, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. People that are trying to live right, they're righteous. They're depending on the blood of Jesus for their righteousness. They're living every day in right standing with God. They're doing all they know to do. You know, to, when you do all you know to do, then it's righteous. But when you know to do and you don't do it, the Bible calls it a sin. So to be righteous, when God shows you to do something, you do something. And so he, he says... God's eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto the prayers of their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. My friend, there's people that's done you evil. If you're not careful, you'll get in their same evil attitude trying to dish back out what they dished to you and you become worse than they were. God will bring vengeance. Vengeance is the Lord. Leave it with the Lord. Leave it to the Lord. But the Lord's face is against them that do evil. We go on here. Prayer has a way of reminding us of the promises of God's word, such as, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. Maybe that's what Peter did. He laid down and he had a word from God. God said, you're going to be an old man. Peter goes, somebody might die in the morning, but it is not going to be me. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only maketh me to dwell in safety. Psalms 4 and 8. I'm going to tell you, God's in, in control. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness, Isaiah 41 and 10. What is that saying? It's saying God is sovereign. If God don't want anybody to touch you, you're not going to be touched. God's got angels he can dispatch. God's got ways of ministering and healing. God's got ways of making the, the, the weight right and causing there to be justice where people may not have any justice. Uh, you go, well, how do you know this is true, that this works? Because when I lived, I lived in Cleveland, Tennessee. I loved where I pastored there. The church I was in, they didn't ask you. They could move you anywhere they wanted to at any time. 
I got sent to Knoxville, Tennessee. I'd get up every morning to pray, God, get me out of here. I don't want to be here. They had a huge financial debt. About 3 o'clock in the morning, God told me how to deal with their financial debt. I went to every, it was a bond program that had went sour. There was people owed money. All of them hated the church because they didn't get their money back. Churches should never enter into those kind of bond programs. I went to each and every one of them. I said, I'm going to see if I can get uh, a, a grant or some kind of money from headquarters to give you your money back. I can't do anything about the interest. I, I don't know if you'll find it in your heart to forgive the, the church. That's all I can do. That's all I've been, had the opportunity to do. But in just a short while, I was able to solve that uh, thing. We had a three weeks revival. God began to move in that church. But as he moved, I was saying, God, I've done my part. Now get me out of here. But anyway, I was praying and I was seeking God. And I'd pray for hours in the morning because I just, I wanted, to, I wanted to be somewhere else. I never forget that uh, I had a, a vision. You know, I don't know if I believe in vision. It doesn't matter to me whether you believe in vision or not, but I do. I had a vision, and it, this vision had to do with this church organization that I was in. It was not a very good vision because I had to tell them some tough stuff about the organization. And so I wrote it all down, and I put it in this book thing, and I put it on the shelf. And I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know what it was about. All I know that it came from God, and I wrote it down. I didn't know if it was for something in the future. I took, me and my wife went to pick up our kids at this Christian school they were going to. And on the way home, I said, honey, I feel like we need to go to that revival tonight. And it was a church in Knoxville. Uh, it was a Cumberland, Cumberland something. Uh, Barry Culberson, still the pastor there today. Uh, the last time I heard, he had an evangelist from Kentucky somewhere. I didn't know him. I didn't know the pastor. I walked in there. They had already completed their worship. And some of you have heard this story. I walk, he walked up and he said, I'd like for the man back there in a blue suit and a red tie. That's me. It was a miracle, but I wore suits and ties back then. And he said, he said, I want you to stand. He said, today at 9 o'clock in the morning, God showed me that you would be there. Now, you've been seeing, Teresa talked about this, this uh, ripple effect. When God wants to do something, guess what? He don't ask you. He don't ask me. He had already told that evangelist at 9 o'clock in the morning that I was going to be there. I didn't even have no plans to be there at 9 o'clock in the morning. But on the way home from picking up the kids, I saw, oh, went by there. I said, well, you need to go to that revival tonight. Sharon said, okay, that's, I guess it's all right with me. We just need to get in for the kids' school and stuff. So we got our stuff together. We went to that revival. The guy came. He said, I'd like for the man to stand. I mean, immediately, right when the service started, he said, I'd like for the man back there to stand. I stood. I'm thinking, this is weird. He said, today at 9 o'clock in the morning, I was praying and God showed me you. God has showed you a vision. You wrote it in a, 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 like a book and you, you haven't told anybody. You've been like Mary. You pondered it in your heart and you've told no one exactly what had happened. Exactly. He said, uh, God's fixing to do something extraordinary in your life. You've been praying. You've been seeking God. God's fixing to do something extraordinary. He said, I want to talk to you after service. He didn't want to tell some stuff in front of my kids. So after service, he, I went up there to talk to him, and he said, I can tell you in detail about that vision. I can tell you that you're fixing to get a call, and you're fixing to go change your ministry. It's which something you, were, you didn't know where, but you've been praying for God to do something in your ministry. The other thing is, when God moves you into this ministry, you're going to have unbelievable success. He said, you're going to break records. He said, but people are going to get jealous, and after a period of time, they're, they're going to come against you, and it's going to be over. He said, this is the part that God wants you to know. It's going to be rough at the end, he said. But when it comes, God wants you to know that he's going to take care of you. He will take care of you, that you're on this mission from God. Guess what? I went home, so I, I had what I'd seen. I had this confirmation from this guy. Now I'm sitting by the telephone. About two weeks later, I get this call. I didn't have no connections with this call. He said, this is Eugene Weekly. I believe he's a great man of God. He called and he said, Dennis, I was praying and God laid you on my heart. I want you to come to the state and uh, I want you to do ministry from the state of Tennessee. I was the most unlikely candidate you could imagine. And so here we load up. Why would we load up? We just bought all the furniture for a 3,000 square foot house. Now we're selling it all. 
we loaded up, we went to Nashville, and we got started. And for a melancholy, God gave me a boldness that was unexplainable. I went to these churches, and I told them that vision just as hard as I could. People repented. People come to the altar. People got saved. People received God's spirit. People were baptized. It was amazing. I, I stood like amazed. When God decides to use people, he can do it. One day when I get to heaven, you know, I don't know why God chose me. I don't have a, there's so many better people he could have chose. All I know is that from a young child, I was saying, God, if you can use me, use me. Whatever you want, God, that's what I want. I don't want my will, I want your will, God. I have found out that what we found from Peter, God has been running Peter through one test after another after another. One test, Peter, God says, I want you to do this. Peter does it. God says, Peter, I want you to do this. Peter does it. He brings this sheet down. He said, you see this meat right here? I want you to eat it. Take and eat. Peter said, no, no, Lord. That's unclean. I told you that last time I prayed. No, Lord, it's unclean. Three times. No, Lord, it's unclean. And, and God, in the, this vision, told Peter, he said, don't call unclean what I've called clean. And so Peter, the understanding was God was fixing to open the door to the Gentiles. Peter had to learn, if God is going to be Lord, you can't say no to him. Now, I want you to get this. Salvation is believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. But he is not your Lord until you do what he says for you to do. You, you can't say, no, Lord. The Lord means he's the owner. He owns you. He bought you. He's your Lord. You know what a landlord is? I mean, they own the house that people are living in. He's the Lord. It's not your call. It's his call. And so as a young man, if the Bible said it, I just did it. Whether I understood it, whether it made sense. One of the, one of the things as a young person, paying tithes. I pay tithes. They go, I don't believe in paying tithes. Well, you don't believe in the Bible then. It's all in the Bible. It paid tithes. And I paid it. I paid it when times I had my water cut off because I was trying to do ministry. and Sometimes I didn't get very much. I, I paid it when I, my electric was cut off. So you went ahead and paid anyway. Absolutely, because God is first. I'd made my mind up that God was first. He was Lord. And my first priority is to obey him. Because if I don't obey him, he's not Lord. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. That's the thing. If we want the power of the almighty God back in the house of God, he's got to be more than a, a decision He's got to be Lord. You've got to obey him. When you understand, when you don't understand, when you like it, when you don't like it, you've got to obey the Lord. And, and, and so God put me through these series of tests. This guy asked me to go to Nashville. I went. I'd done ministry. And about four, four years in, one time I was accused of adultery, which was absolutely false. Me and my wife could prove it instantly, and we stopped it. And the state officer said, well, nip this in the bud immediately. But don't feel good to be accused of something that you didn't do. I had other people. My wife was over like 5,000 young people going to camp every year. We had all kind of attacks there. These attacks started coming. They come stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. You know how I could exist? You know how I could go to sleep at night? Because God said it was going to happen. If I was going to accept the God that said this was going to happen and that's going to happen, and that, then I need to accept the God that said this was going to happen. Peter knew one day that he was going to die on a cross because all the other stuff that God told Peter came to pass. I remember I was in Memphis. Went there. My wife and kids didn't go. I was going down to Memphis to preach. And on the way back, I was listening to this song on the radio and I just began to cry. And God said, it's the beginning of the end. I knew what he was talking about. I was fixing, I was going now through this gauntlet of stuff that's fixing to happen to me. And it wasn't going to be long. I wasn't even going to be in that organization anymore. I loved the organization. I grew up in the organization. I went to college in the organization. I still got hundreds and hundreds of friends in that organization. But you know when I told you about that, that sacrifice where they sacrifice a person to get somebody to the next base, God had called me to sacrifice. Dennis, will you go to the plate? And, 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 you know, we're going to end up taking you out, but we're going to move the calls down the road a little bit further. I said, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. 
God may cause you to sacrifice. God may use you to accomplish something greater. It may not feel too good to you, but God's going to accomplish. God may say somebody in your family because of your sacrifice. God may do something, but you've got to decide if God is sovereign, and if he is sovereign, if he is Lord, and whether you're going to do what God wants you to do in your life. That's what you see in the book of Acts. God's eyes are on the righteous. God's ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. God will get even with your enemies. He'll deal with your enemies. The, 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 this, uh, in, in Peter's writing, first thing I want you to see is God sees our trials. God sees everything you're going through. God sees when you're falsely done and things are said about you and things you go through and and things you face. God sees your trials. We see that in 12, 1 through 4. God sees it. His eyes are open to it. It is good to know that no matter how difficult the trials or how disappointing the news, God's still on the throne. He's still in control. We may not always understand it, but we know he's sovereign and he knows best. The second thing is God hears our prayers. His ears are open to their prayers. The phrase there, but prayer, was where the miracle started. Peter was in jail. Peter knew he wasn't going to die. The church maybe didn't know that. Peter sitting in jail, but the church prayed. It is estimated that the church prayed day and night, 24 hours a day for seven days. That's why I'm saying we need your prayers. And, and so here's what one guy, a Puritan, said he said, the angel fetched Peter out of prison. Now, Peter was in prison. He was asleep. Peter can't take no credit for that miracle. Peter didn't have faith. He didn't have to do nothing. Peter's in prison. He's asleep in prison. But there's a miracle fixing to happen to him because the church prayed. And so here he is in prison. This Puritan preacher, Thomas Watson, said, but it was prayer it, you know, the angel fetched Peter, but it was the prayers of the church that fetched the angel. I don't know whether you believe in angels or not, but I do. See, Peter is sleeping. He's sleeping soundly. He's got a word from God. He knew it was going to go a certain way, and it did. This time, uh, you know, he had been in jail before, but this time was different. He was all alone. He just heard of, he just had several friends murdered, killed. You know, but the church began to pray. When the church prays, things happen. I want you to know something. The, the Herod was so, you know, he's righteous, he ain't going to do nothing during the, the feast. But right after that, he put four guards. And when they shift got off, he put four more guards. When that shift got off, he had four more guards. And he made sure he had this garrison of guards to make sure Peter didn't get out of jail. And Peter, he's chained in this prison. He's got these four guards, and they got the doors locked, and they got him chained down. How many knows God is a chain breaker? And his chain is fixing to be broke. How is his chain fixing to be broke? Because of an angel. How did the angel get there? Because the church prayed that the, he would be rescued. So here's Peter. And so Peter, there, Herod, uh, could not kill Peter because God had given him a promise. In verses 7 through 11, Peter is obeying. Once again, behold the ministry of angels. We see the ministry of angels in Acts 5, 19. We see the ministry of angels in 8, 26. We see the ministry of angels in 10, 3 and 7. You are reminded that the angels, that angels care for God's children according to Psalms 34 and 7. Look to your neighbor and say, you've got a guardian angel whether you know it or not. If Peter was going to be delivered, he had to obey the angel and he commanded. There's always participation in a miracle. Naaman had leprosy. This little maid said, well, I know a guy can heal you. You need to go down to the prophet and, uh, and he'll heal you. So he goes down, he's this king, and he goes down there and he goes, uh, well, tell, uh, tell the prophet to come out and do whatever he's going to do. I want to be healed. The prophet Elijah said, I, I'm not coming out. You tell him to go dip in the muddy water seven times. He goes, does he know who I am? I'm a king. 
He wants me to go. He ain't even got the respect to come out and, and come to me. No, God is not into your ego. Get out of your ego and go do what God says. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And so they said, well, if he would ask you to do something hard, he'd come prepared to give a bunch of money. God don't want your money. God's on the cattle of a thousand hills. God wants obedience. Sometimes though, your obedience has money attached to it. God wants your obedience to read the Bible, prayer, get in church, live right, be righteous, do the right thing. And so Naaman finally, after a bunch of mumbling and grumbling, he gets out there and he goes down in the water one time. Hey, nothing happened. That's how people are the first time they give to God. Well, ain't nothing happened. I didn't get nothing. Don't give like that. Give because you're doing it obedient to God. He went the second time, the third time. The seventh time he come up, it was gone. It was gone. You think that sacrifice was too much for a leprosy to be gone from your very body? The one time a guy came to Jesus and he was blind and Jesus gets down. If you think it was unsanitary for a guy to stick his finger in his mouth and touch my mouth and I was healed, I don't care if he stuck his finger in his mouth or his ear. I don't care. I'm just glad I'm healed. I'm just telling you. I don't care. And so Jesus gets down and he grabs up some piece of the earth, dust, and he spits in it. And he molds it around and he makes a little clay dough eyeball and he sticks it in the guy. Ah, and he tells him to go down and wash in the, at the well. You imagine just got like, look at that Jesus. He, uh, he got dirt all in that guy's eye and he ain't healed. You want him to go down and wash. And so can you imagine this guy, he's walking down there he's, and he's like, you know, he can't see. And they go, look, he's got mud all in his eyes. They're probably making fun of him. But the problem is they didn't know who put that mud in his eyes. There's sometimes you've got mud attached to you. It may be mud that somebody's thrown at you. It may be, you know, uh, mud of some kind, but they don't know who allowed that mud. It's God Almighty, and he's got a purpose behind it. He's setting a trap for him. He gets down there, and he washes that dirt out of his eyes, and he could see perfectly. God was the super, but he had to do the natural. The children of Israel, you know, we try to take sides. You know, we got this side and that side. You know, in the Old Testament, there's times you knew what side. Pharaoh, he's the bad side. The children of Israel, they the good side. And so Pharaoh, God said, you're going to release my people. They said, no, we're not. We're using them for labor, slave labor. And we've had them for 430 years, and you don't have any access to them. God said, you're going to let my people go. And so one plague after another, after another, after another began to happen. And eventually Pharaoh said, okay, we'll let them go. We don't want to, but we'll let them go in the morning. And there was frogs everywhere. Everything had happened and destroyed. There's some nations right now under destruction because they've lifted an arrogant head to God and they've disturbed God and, and, and act like God doesn't exist. God is sovereign. And so Pharaoh, he goes, well, we just go get him. So Pharaoh's army starts coming down. Now, Abraham, I mean, uh, Moses and the children of Israel feel like they're in a trap. Where's God at? They're between a rock and a hard place, and there's the Red Sea. What are we going to do, God? And God says, what's in your hand? He said, a staff, a rod. He said, stretch it out over the water. Moses stretches that rod out over the water, and the water parted, and they walked across on dry ground. They have estimated for that river, which is a flowing river, to have stopped at the time that he'd done that, that, uh, that rod, it would have had to start stopping about seven miles upstream to do it at the right time for it to be gone when he done the rod. Tell me God don't work ahead of time. God's already working ahead of time. If, if God leads you to go witness to somebody, he's already working ahead of time. I know a guy one time, he, he'd been praying for somebody. He was mowing the yard and he said, God said, go right now. He just stopped left the lawnmower right on the yard out near the road, got in his car, went over to this man's house, and he talked to him about God, and he led him to God. He goes back in his car. He gets back to where his lawnmower was. He didn't. It was already turning dark. He had to just put it. He gets a call. That, that man just dropped dead with a massive heart attack. Do you think it was important for that pastor to obey God when he did? 
There are times it's, it's, you've got to obey God. He's not Lord if he's not Lord, if you're not going to obey him. So Peter is obeying the Lord. And, and uh, if, if Peter was going to be delivered, he had to obey the angel's command. He arose and followed the angel out of prison into a street. I want to go back a little bit to this Pharaoh. Pharaoh's army thought they could do it. And the waters come down in one day, which looked like the worst day for God's people, was a trap for the enemy. In one day, because of this water, he wiped out Pharaoh's army and his chariots and his men. What was prepared for God's people's destruction ended up being the enemy's destruction. If you'll obey God, he'll either make your enemies at peace with you or he'll destroy them. Don't ever doubt it. Don't ever doubt God is sovereign and he will do what he says he'll do. I said that about sides because eventually the children of Israel, they some got griping and complaining. Well, you know, we had it better in Egypt. Yeah, you had it better in Egypt. That's why you wanted to leave so bad. Well, you know, we don't have this. We don't. And they griped. And now they were on the right side. They were on God's side. But they got a griping and they got a complaining and they got disobedient. And one day the earth opened up and swallowed the right side people into the ground and destroyed them. Don't matter if you're on the so-called right side or the wrong side. If you're disobedient to God, you better watch out. You better watch out. Care what the name of the church is, what the organization, what's going on. There's not really sides. It's either obedient to God or you're not. This is an amazing story about Peter. Peter's there. The angel has to shake Peter like three times to wake him up. The same Peter that come to, to, to Jesus, he told him, he said, I want you to bind up your garments and your girdle and put on your sandals. Well, don't you think if an angel can get into a prison that's got four guards and got the doors locked and got Peter chained, it'd been nothing for the angels to go ahead and put on Peter's shoes for him. But no, Peter was going to have to participate in this miracle. God's going to do the God stuff. You've got to do your stuff. And I think about Peter getting down and like putting on his sandals and tying up his, the long part of his, his clothes, tightening them where he don't drag it across anybody else there in the prison, maybe sleeping. And he's following this angel out and like, I wonder if we can get out with all these people and all this. And he goes out. <clears throat> but can you imagine after that, every time that Peter got up to put his shoes on, he goes, oh yeah, I remember that miracle where I had to put my shoes on and that angel got me out of that prison. Every time he put his shoes on, it was a reminder of a miracle. Every time I speak to a crowd of people, it's a reminder of a miracle that God done with my speech. That's why I told God, I said, God, if you'll heal me, I'll speak for you. I was a melancholy. I was bashful. I was backward. It didn't matter. It seemed like they wanted me to speak at the Boy Scouts. They wanted me to speak at something in town. If God open the door. I went. I made a promise to God and he was Lord and I wasn't. I'm telling you, it's important to get over yourself and obey God. And so this miracle happened. Peter had to stoop down before he could walk and put his shoes on. This exodus and Peter, he's led out of prison. The angel vanishes. Peter's outside the prison like, man, that's cool. Peter didn't ask for any of that. The church did. So since it was the church's miracle, he needed to be finish out the miracle. So Peter went to Mary's house, and they were still doing that prayer meeting. And Peter goes knocking on the door. They're praying. They can't even hear him. They got the prayer meeting going on. They didn't come to the door. I believe sometimes our miracle is knocking on our door and we don't have enough obedience or the hearing ear of God to get up and open the door. Next week, I'm going to talk about answered prayer and open doors and how open doors, where God opens the door and something happens powerfully in your life. And I'm telling you, it's highly on obedience. If you're not obedient to God, he's not Lord of your life. And so uh, I, I told him in the first service, God started leading me through this process 
in my prayer time, and God was getting me ready for when I went and done state work. One time at 3 o'clock in the morning, God told me, he said, uh, this Jane LaFew that come down, she worked with the deaf people. And so this happened to her, made her believe in me as a minister. I was new there. And so she wanted to bring these deaf people to our church, and we needed a van because there's a big home for the deaf in Knoxville. In the middle of the night, about 3 in the morning, God woke me up, and he said, go to the Cadillac dealership in Knoxville and ask for a van. I said, God, I can't do that. Go to a, a and you know, it wasn't for me. I'm not asking for a Cadillac for me. And I go, and that morning I get up, and it's breakfast time. How do you know it's from God? You have this urge that you can't get over. You just keep filling it. You keep filling it. You keep breakfast. You need to go. You need to go. God, I don't want to go. Lunch. You need to go. You need to go. I don't want to go. I'm scared to go. Supper. You need to go. You need to go. They're about to close. I just, <clears throat> I didn't go. All night I was awake trying to process, and God just wouldn't leave it alone. I couldn't get over it. You know, kind of like when you need to forgive somebody and you won't do it and it drives you crazy because you're not obeying God, or you need to do something and you won't do it, and so it's driving you crazy, or something. You know, there's always that something. Or your wife wants you to take out the garbage, and you go, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. You better off just get up and do it, and then you get over it, you won't hear the voice no more, Right? It just keeps coming, it keeps coming, it keeps coming. So I get up the next morning, I said, well, I ain't slept, I ain't hardly eat. I guess I'll go down there and do what he said. So I go down to the calendar, I put on a suit and go down there. To the cal- I want to talk to the main guy, the main guy's there. I go in and I go, uh, this makes it sound kind of crazy. I'm a pastor and God woke me up in the middle of the night and told me to come down here and ask you for a Cadillac. I'm not a Cadillac for a, for a van. Cadillac is a different church organization. And uh, he goes, when did the Lord tell you that? He said, I'm a Christian. I believe in that. And I said, night before last. He said, well, you should have obeyed God. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, we had a van out here, a nice van. But he said, people don't come to a Cadillac dealership looking for a van. It's set over there for a long, long time. And he said, I, I got up this morning. And they were taking some stuff to the auction. And I said, uh, might as well put that van in the auction stuff. We ain't going to get no money out of it, but... Send it on to the auction. We'll get it out of here. Save space on our lot. All the true story. He said, I just want to tell you, sir, if you would have come yesterday, you'd have been driving that van home. What did God teach me that day? I'm a loser. (laughs) You should have went yesterday. You need to obey God when he wants you to obey him. But it taught me a lesson. When God says, do something, do it. I don't care how stupid, how ridiculous, how crazy it is. You will feel that option. It's not like an audible voice when God talks. It's, it's a <laughs> I, first service, I think maybe that's not the best illustration, but I said, you know when you got to go to the bathroom real bad? You, got, you ever felt that? Like, I got to go. I got to go. I really got to go. I mean, I got to go. It's like that voice when I'm like, you got to go. That's kind of like the spirit is. You got to do it. You got to do it. You need to do it. I'm telling you to do it. You need to do it. You're going to do it. You're going to eat when you need to be doing this. You need to do that. And it's just like, it's sometimes... It just won't stop until you do it. Because God's going to test whether you just made some kind of decision, lighthearted decision, or whether you're going to make God Lord. Because if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. The early church and the miracles that took place in the early church happened because they were sold out and Jesus was Lord. See, Peter said, not so, Lord, not so... Peter had to learn, you can't call him Lord and then say, no. No, Lord. No, not so, Lord. You don't have that choice. If God is Lord, then you've got one answer, and that's yes. What you want me to do, Lord? Yes. What you want me to do, Lord? Yes. You've got one answer when God asks you to do something. It's yes. So Peter is the answer to the church's prayer and they're knocking on the door. This lady named Rhoda comes to the door and she said, oh my God, it looks like Peter's angel. Evidently, Peter had told about his angel. Peter knew of his angel. It must be Peter's angel. That don't make no sense. If it had been an angel, the angel just could have come right through the wall, right? What is she thinking? But the church was made to believe that day that when the church prays, God answers prayer. 
I'm going to tell you, the devil has attacked me. He's attacked people in this congregation. He's attacked different ministries in this congregation. How many thinks it's enough? It's enough. It's enough. As a congregation, we need to bind together and tell the devil where he can go. The people were praying. They were praying earnestly. They had prayed for day and night for about a week. The one part I like that was so amazing is the plurality. God said, where two or three are gathered, I'm in the midst. The plurality said, they opened the door. They were astonished. I get the impression that for safety's sake, they decided to open the door. They opened the door together and they faced together whatever was on the other side of the door. The church had unified and was working together. The church didn't really, this prayer meeting took place at Mary's house. So Peter shows up at Mary's house and then Peter begins to tell them what God had done because of their prayer. That this angel come and delivered them because of their prayer. That he wouldn't be standing there in front of them if it wasn't for their prayer. The last thing I want to say today is God deals with our enemies. You know, Herod, when prisoners, when guards let somebody loose, that's what they assume. You know, you were here, the doors are still locked, the chains are there, you must have let Peter go. And so he didn't have to, but Herod had those four guards killed. So the people that was going to kill Peter got killed. Then Claudius, we find this out from Josephus, Claudius has this big, big party and, he, and they're, they're trying to make Herod feel, you know, glamorous and glorious. And so he gives this speech, and it's all about him and what he's done and what he's accomplished. And he never gives God any glory or any respect. And you know what? After eating all that big meal, Herod dies five days later with an acute case of diarrhea. You know, can that be true? Yeah, it can be true. Let me read it to you. Josephus said, here's what happened. He said that uh, they faced this. I want to tell you what. He said that uh, Jewish historian Joseph said that the scene took place, this festival, all I told you that happened. And he said, Herod contracted some affliction in his bowels and died five days later, according to Josephus. He died in AD 44. So the guy that was going to kill Peter and the guards that was going to hold Peter, the guards died and Herod died. Guess who didn't die? Peter. Don't tell me God ain't sovereign. God is almighty and God is sovereign. God will do what he wills. This can't help but remind me of what's fixing to take place in our world today. I cannot help but to see King Herod as an illustration of the future man of sin who will one day rule the world and persecute all God's people, according to 2 Thessalonians 2 and Revelation 13. The man of sin, which is the Antichrist, so you know what Christ is. These are people that's anti to Christ. You see any of those in the land today? Wave your hand. They're anti anything to do with Christ. They're gathering now, the Antichrist will make himself God and will command the worship of the whole world. But Jesus Christ will return and judge him and those who follow him according to Revelations 9, 11, and 21. It may appear that the end of Christ is winning. It may appear that he's got it all that in a bag of chips, but he's going down. He's going down. I'd rather be on God's side today than anything in the world. I'd rather be on God's side than be politically correct. I'd rather be on God's side and be following Him and Him be my Lord than anything else. I'm going to end with this illustration today. How many have been praying about things in your life? And sometimes you pray, and here's what happens when you pray. This is you pray. You've been praying, you've been praying, and you know, you're just trying to pray to God, and your prayers just fall on the ground. They just fall to the floor. Your prayers ain't going nowhere. They don't get past the ceiling. God, why don't you answer my prayer? God makes it, well, why don't you do what I told you to do? Why don't you obey me? Why haven't you done one thing I've asked you to do in the last 10 years? 
Why can't you trust me? I don't know what, but sometimes we play we pray amiss. He didn't say his ears was open to everybody. He said his ears are open to those that are trying to live a righteous life. That's trying to do right. That's trying to live godly. He didn't say his prayers was open to everybody. Sometimes we're asking things that God don't plan to do because he's got something better in store. Then there's times that we pray. We get out on our knees and we get earnest with God and God, we're, we're doing everything we know to do. We're living right and we pray and all at once our prayers seem like they ascend out of the room. We can feel something happening. Our prayers are going up, up, up and we feel, oh my God, God is on the throne. We feel like we've got an answer but yet we don't see no movement yet. I'm going to tell you the reason for that and you're going to hear a lot more next week. Daniel, one time, he prayed. He was in a serious situation. He could be put to death. Different things were going on in the Bible there. He said, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and humble yourself before God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. First day. When did God begin to move on Daniel's prayer? Hold up number one, first day. Daniel had put God number one. God was putting Daniel number one from that first day. But it said that, that God was already sending the response to his prayer. But the prince of Persia kingdom resisted me 21 days. God was sending the answer to uh, Daniel's prayer through an angel. Angel got so far and this prince of the power of the air, which was the prince of Persia, which is the devil, was stopping God's answer getting back to Daniel. For 21 days, Daniel prayed with no answer. And yet we find in the story that God answered his prayer on day one, but it had trouble getting through the prince and the power of the air, the devil. The devil was hindering the will of God for Daniel. But then Michael, who's Michael? Michael is the greatest, meanest, baddest angel in heaven. He's bad. God sent Michael, the warring angel, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Thing is, God's unstoppable. God's answering prayer, but some of your prayers are getting caught up in the prince of the power. And you know what does that? When the church prays, and we, we curse the devil and we say, devil, get under my feet. And you're not going to cross the blood of Jesus. We plead the blood of Jesus. We cry out to God. We say, God, you're not stopping this ministry. You're not stopping this. You're not stopping that. Devil, you're not going to stop it. God's in control. And we get serious as a church about our people being picked off one at a time, one at a time. God answers prayer. There is a real devil and he really does hate you. A lot of you, what you're seeing go on today in our land, in our government, it's the devil. It's the devil. And the Bible said in the last days there would be a strong delusion poured out. It talks about truth will fall in the streets. This strong delusion, people will be caused when they don't know God, they don't really know his word, they haven't been in church, they ain't been living God, they will believe a lie and be damned because they don't know the truth. There's a lot of people being deceived. And the Bible said that the deception will become so bad that if you didn't end and cut time short, the very elect would be deceived. When you're seeing this strong movement of deception, you need to lift up your heads because God's fixing to come back. And he's coming back from those people who know Jesus as Lord. Not like he's my buddy, he's my friend. One time I talked to him. No, he's coming back for people that know Jesus Christ as Lord. So we need to pray and keep on praying. We need to seek and keep on seeking. And we need to knock and knock and knock until the doors start coming open. Next week I'm going to be talking about how to get the doors open to miracles and things in your life. It takes unity and it takes people getting together praying for God. Let us bow our heads. Tiba, if you'll come. Dear Heavenly Father, I know you're the miracle worker.
you're the super to our natural. If we'll obey, we'll see the supernatural. If we'll open our ears, God, if we'll, if we'll do the right thing, we'll get your attention, we'll get your ear, we'll get your face. You'll turn your face against evil. You will slay those that are, are trying to stop our prayers. You will slay those. You will stop it. You will get it out of the way. Prayers will start being answered. Things will start turning around. God, that's my prayer today, Lord. I want you to touch this congregation and keep us by your amazing power. In Jesus' name, I pray right now.